Hello and welcome to the All at Once podcast, where we carry much, like all of humanity, all at once. To God be the glory. Our presenting sponsors are Alan and Beth Stanfield of Stanfield Properties. Houston area listeners, reach out to them for all your realty needs. I also want to shout out Alita Caldwell at Funky Monkey in Friendswood. She's actually in the room right now taking really adorable pictures of me, which shows how much she loves me. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that you all are aware that she has a studio in the back of Funky Monkey that you can run out and record podcasts. She loans the space to us, and I would love if you could return and show her some love by running out her space and getting some production quality sound and audio producing up in here. We also have Ink Designs as a sponsor in Friendswood. She uh, she donated all of our merch and printing materials that we're giving out for season three. There's a lot of swag on our website at allatonce.us where you can get your own swag and you can also view other ways to support us by becoming a patron via Patreon. Patreon is a monthly giving platform for creators like us where you can join and give monthly at $5, $10, $25, or $50 a month. And of course, each tier comes with swag and benefits. But really, we would be honored to have your support and to have you investing in this work so that we can continue doing it. Sarah, Kelly, and I are so grateful to have you join us for this difficult conversation. But we would like to caution you as this episode is not for little ears. And for our listeners who have experienced trauma, we'd like to welcome you first and foremost to this safe space and also gently caution you to take care of yourself as you listen to this episode as you may be reminded of your own trauma. Rev's story includes being a victim of sexual assault as a child. Rev, thank you for joining us. Yes, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. This is beautiful. <laughs> I can't stop smiling at you guys. Uh, this is my first time ever doing anything like this, so thank you. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. What an yes. honor to share this space with you in this capacity for your first time. Well, we're gentle in a good place. We're a safe place for you to kind of step out into this media platform. And hopefully we can have a good partnership that if you want to do something more with this, we're happy to help you and, and grow your voice and your audience because we want to amplify your story. All right now. For sure. I'm going to hold you to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to yeah, that. good. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I want to tell everyone how I kind of met Rev. I guess I haven't actually met you in person, but two of my dear friends, Sally Ann and Taylor. Taylor actually used to help us out on the podcast um, with some marketing and social media content creation. Sarah and Taylor were at this cute coffee shop in Houston. And after they saw Rev perform his poem titled Vulnerability, they texted me the same night and said, I found a guest for your podcast. <laughs> and I said, okay, tell me about it. They, I think, Rev, you can kind of share what this looked like for you. But what they told me is they went up to you, asked you for your number and told <laughs> you about this podcast and said, she's going to talk mm -hmm. to you. And, um, I did. And here right. we are. Here we are. Um, yes, I performed the poem that night. Uh, just the whole night was just beautiful. I feel like nothing happens by coincidence. So, um, after performing, they kind of ran up to me with just a lot of energy and I was just like, ah, you know, like, hello. And they were like, you'll be perfect for this, like, my friend. So, um, yes, we exchanged info, and here we are today. So beautiful. Yes, yes. So to kind of kick off our conversation, Rev's going to perform that same poem for us. And before he does that, I want to invite you to take a collective deep breath with me.
without further delay, Rev, let's hear it. <laughs> Vulnerability. The quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. Vulnerability. Something I had to learn to do with myself first, not knowing that this was the only way that I could lift the curse. You see, all my life, I lived with unforgiveness on the inside. Pride. I'm going to tell you about some of the things that I would hide from myself. You get it? <laughs> it's just me talking to me right now. But I'm being vulnerable, so I invite the crowd into my thought process of distant memory. Embrace yourself. I hope you're ready for this energy. Don't look at my tattoos. Don't worry about my hair. Don't pay attention to the type of clothes that I wear. Try your best not to judge. Open your mind. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'll do my best to rhyme. It all started at home. My parents didn't know what to do with me because the school system diagnosed me with ADHD. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. I didn't see the point in school. So I challenged the system, and my classmates thought I was cool. <laughs> You're a fool, my teachers would say as they called home. While my classmates were at recess, I had to sit on the phone. <laughs> my mother, wait until I tell your daddy. Why are you tripping? <laughs> And for the rest of the school day, I had to think about that whipping. Every damn day, my daddy would whoop my ass for the things that I did I didn't do while I was in class. My father didn't believe in ADHD. He beat me with the fear of me going to the penitentiary. So I put on a mask and became someone I had to pretend to be. Security. Around my own family, I can't beat myself. So I built up my walls and said, I don't need your help. Or did I? My parents were clueless to the secrets that I held, the thoughts and the feelings that kept me in the shell. Hell was what I experienced when they were not around. They couldn't see beneath my mask. My smile was a frown. I was on the battlefield doing my best to make sense of life. I felt so alone. I didn't know what was wrong or right. I was molested by a woman at the age of five. To the average man, he would think that that's a prize. But it's not at that age because I was triggered sexually. The effect on me was so heavily that I could see through the clothes of the women that were next to me. Confused, yet intrigued. I didn't quite understand. Then two years later, I was molested by a man. Same situation, different time, different place. I kept it bottled up inside because I didn't have my safe space. I carried the pain of others inside of me for years. Frustration, humiliation, escaping my body through the tears that I would cause, pause. The tears that I would cause because I never healed from my trauma. I always found myself in some type of drama where I often pointed the finger instead of checking my reflection. Low self-esteem and unhealed pain was my soul's projection. Unconsciously, I hurt everybody around me because there was no vulnerability. For myself, there was just certain things that I would never say. The thoughts, the questions, could I really be gay? Cut the point. Keep it real. How could I not have thoughts about the same sex? I had relations with the same sex. And yeah, although it was against my will, I had to make the decision to heal. So excuse me because my vulnerability is now my escape. I'm a proud black man. I will tell you that I've been raped and shaped for the heaven's sake so I could be vulnerable in this moment and pray. I let it go. I let it go, the pain that I carry, I don't want it no more. 
so I forgive those who performed the act of molestation. Now that I'm healed, I understand that was my motivation. Restoration, inspiration, rejuvenation, shit, every T-I-O-N. Everything that was sent to destroy me, I will spend so I win. I forgive my teachers that will call me a fool. Look at me now. My words are my tools and I'm taking you out of school because I'm up here dropping jewels. I forgive my father for being a man that he couldn't be. As a matter of fact, scratch that. Let's move up the family tree. I forgive my father's father for being a man that he couldn't bleed. I was once blind, but now I see that we only do to each other what was done to us to keep you and I from loving. And remember that love is trust. So I unlearn all of my learned behavior. I break every generational curse. I recognize my own toxic traits because I no longer want to hurt you or me. I don't want to hurt anybody. Do you understand? Do you understand that this was all a part of love's plan so I could deliver this message directly to you that the only way to heal is to tell your truth? Love. Love, 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 love. I wasn't prepared to cry um, during this episode. Wow. That's incredibly powerful. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for the vulnerability and for sharing your truth in that message. That was amazing. Sorry. Did you guys? I'm sorry. I'm still. (laughs) It's a lot of energy over here. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. uh, Will you take a minute to decompress from that? If yeah, you no, need to, I'm good. I, I love it. I'm on questions. a high right now because you know, um, just for me, when I when I perform and I um, I, I go back there mentally, you know, and, and kind of gets mm-hmm. the point across. Like, you know, those words that I had to write and learn how to express that and articulate it. It took a lot of work. So every time I kind of dive into one of my poems, I'm there. You know, I'm there. So yeah. my bad. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's not, that's not a my bad. That's, I think, a very normal um, human response to sharing things that difficult. Um, Just, I think the amount of courage that it takes to do that is incredible. So thank you very much. Like really, truly. For sure. So you just kind of shared this, but do you would you just kind of elaborate a little bit for us on what it is like for you each time you share your work or each time you perform that? Um, thank you, and thank you guys again for the opportunity. This is so cool. Uh, but uh, thank you for that question. Uh, every time I kind of step into that mode where I'm I'm rev, you know, and uh, you know, I I I embody, you know, what I'm what I'm speaking on. I'm basically going back to that place so I can project it. Um, it's like I'm living. I don't know. You know, because I feel like I'm doing it on purpose for someone else, maybe so they can tap into their vulnerable side and, you know, get them to thinking, um, you know, about their life. That's what I hope to do because, uh, you know, you see someone like me, if you saw me in person, you wouldn't think that I was this guy, you know, I'm tatted up, you know, <laughs> you know, just, you wouldn't think that I'm this guy who would express something that vulnerable and, you know, um, just learning who I am and learning love and helping, wanting to help people understand what love is and how to love yourself. 
it's like we have to really step out of the words that we emotionally attach to. We have to we have to do so much self work. And I know that um, the things that I speak on, especially this poem, it helps someone else be free within themselves. So sorry, I'm I'm kind of diving down different rabbit holes, but. <laughs> No, that's, that's wonderful. I, I think it's true. I mean, I can tell from your words how much work you yeah. have done and how much work yes. you are doing. And I think that's absolutely true, that when we share that, it's like sometimes it's like a lifeline yeah. to others, right. you know? And I think that probably means that since you know that, that somebody else has done that for you, and you're like, oh, that's something mm-hmm. I can do too. Yeah. So that's really cool. I mean, just to speak on that, I feel like, oh, sorry, could I speak on that? <laughs> yes, just. Yes, um, go ahead. I feel like, you know, because it's like we're all on our journeys, right? We have an individual journey that we're all on. And just I feel like this journey is really um, just basically you becoming self-aware of who you are, you know, and um, going through the traumatic things that we have faced to cause us to think the way that we think to respond emotionally the way we respond and then to act the way we act, you know, and it's a lot of it is based on survival. So, you know, dealing with molestation and just, oh my gosh, you know, we'll get to into it, but just dealing with it, just to, it's just like, it's, it really sculpted my mind. Um, but um, mm-hmm. yes, getting back to someone who helped me, I think just learning how to allow people to help me that was a, we'll get into that too. <laughs> touch on that. Yes. I can talk a do. lot, guys. I'm sorry. We love it. <laughs> That's great. Okay. We want you to talk a lot. <laughs> All right. Hey, don't do it. I will yeah, be here. <laughs> It's kind of the whole point of a podcast. Right. <laughs> That's what I, I'm giving you guys so. your, your props. Like, this is so dope. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to do something like this and just talk my <laughs> little head off. You know? Well, but, uh, we, we so okay, appreciate you sharing your story. And I just, I was getting choked up, especially, you know, hearing everything that you've gone through, which I'm so sorry that, that, that you experienced that. Um, and like for me on the mental health side of things, like, you know, you talk in the poem about your dad not believing in ADHD, right? And like, unfortunately, that's something that's so prevalent in the black community. And for myself, like, I always, I just grew up being told, oh, you're, you're just a perfectionist. Like, you're fine. You're just a perfectionist. Meanwhile, I was walking around with undiagnosed anxiety, undiagnosed OCD, undiagnosed depression, and like feeling guilty when I was having these very normal feelings that go along with all of that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's hard. And I, I'm just, I'm curious, Rev, like, how was that for you as a child, you know, your father not believing in ADHD, right? And then go realizing that you, this is actually a thing. This is a mental health, you know, situation that you're going through. And as you like kind of went into adulthood, how did that impact your relationship with your father? Um, just knowing that you kind of had that background. That is like the, I feel like that was the hardest lesson to learn within um within this this expression vulnerability the the relationship with my father was definitely um the hardest thing to learn because of his mindset in a way you know uh just a little background on my father and I um he was like a, a manly man you know he wanted a manly son play all the sports football you know <laughs> like you know the captain of a but I was more like 
expressive and I, I used to talk and I used to move and dance and I wanted to do gymnastics and ballet and I wanted to learn how to sing and my father would always tell me um you know hey men don't do that you know just our dads that's that's gay you know just whatever it just his mindset um so I was I was born into that and then having to experience you know um, molestation. And then, you know, going into adulthood, it really just sculpted me. Um, and my relationship with him, um, it was hard to let go and accept the fact that now that I realize what my father made, could have done better, it's my job to do that for him. You know, it's my job to teach him with love that, hey, man, you know, we don't have to put each other in a box. We don't have to label each other. And I see that it took me forgiving him, you know, to actually see him, you know, where he is in his life and his journey. And like, OK, he's, you know, you see where people are by the way they communicate, but if they're stuck in their cycles. You know, you see where people are, especially our parents. So we have to be the parent to our parents, like the parent that they never had. Yeah. So um, I'm learning. I'm learning that. It's so true. Hopefully that makes sense. No, it definitely makes sense. And I like that's something that I think about, too, is, you know, because there is such a stigma in the black community, but it's also because of like our parents and our parents' parents, like they just didn't, didn't know or didn't, you know, have access to the information. And so for me, it's being a parent to your parents, but it's also like just speaking up about it, you know, and I wasn't comfortable speaking up about it for a long time. And so I really admire you for sharing your art with the world, right? Because it's not an easy thing to talk about, especially when it's, within our community it's like oh black people don't go to therapy they go to the barbershop like you know what i mean so it's like how do you break that that stereotype and i think it's exactly what you're doing now is speaking on it and sharing your art right right i mean and just to um kind of piggyback off what you just said um you know um just realizing that I had so much healing to do and and putting myself in the situation where i'm uncomfortable around my dad and learning how to be comfortable with him, you know, accepting him for who he is, but just learning how to be challenging myself to be love because, um, you know, they only know so much, you know, and they're just, they're living life based on what they know, you know, and a lot of people just don't know how to think for themselves. So it's just like so much in that, but, uh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> so I have a question and this isn't on the script or anything or the outline, but like when y'all were just, when Dara and Rev were just talking about, like generations of family members not believing in mental health issues. It just made me think of like why that is the case. And I think about my privilege. And so like, I wonder if it stems back to like my family didn't believe still really struggles to believe that mental health is real and that things like other people in my family, they have schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and they don't believe that's real, um, which is shocking. Um, but I have aunts and uncles who do believe that it's real. I have a grandmother who believes that it's real. I have other people in my family who've been privileged to have access to different resources earlier in their lives. And so it just makes me wonder, like, when you think back generations back of black families, um, the privilege is much more delayed. And so you, Dara and Rev, are could be the first person in your family or like the very early on in the breaking the cycle of not believing that mental health is real. 
and other people in my family did that before me, even though not in my immediate family, my grandmother did and my um, extended family members have. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that, about that, the correlation between privilege and mental health awareness. Okay. Um, yes, guys, that that's a good um, point. You know, we we really have so much to address. You know, if we're gonna just um, spotlight the the African American community, you know, when it comes to stuff like this, oh my gosh, like Dara said, it just comes with speaking. You know, a lot of us are just afraid to express, and we really just don't know how to identify it. You know, mentally, we, we don't really know how to process a lot within this community because it stems back to earlier years. You know, it just stems back to just the way it comes about. However, the way to break it is just to speak. And sometimes the next person won't know how to, you know, I guess, express themselves like you. We, we all express ourselves differently. And it's just a matter of that person may be mad, you know, but you can do it respectfully with love, with our families first. You know, we should be able to come to our parents and come to our, this is home, be free, be, be who you are, because I don't want you to go find answers in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go find love in the world. So this is your safe space. Yeah. yeah, I think, Kelly, you bring up a really good point, though, about like when it comes to historically, like where did this start? How, where did this come from? Right. And it's, you know, it. I mean, it dates back. Nobody wants to talk about this, but it dates all the way back to slavery when black people were denied access to any kind of education. Right. And so that filters down through the years. And then when you fast forward, it's like, yeah, they don't have access to information. They don't have access to mental health care or even, you know, information about mental health. And then I think this, the whole generational wealth thing is like white families have traditionally more resources and the ability to like, oh, you're having this issue. Let's take you to a doctor or let's take you to a facility and like get you help. Whereas black families in a lot of, a lot of cases just have to get by, just have to survive. And I think the other side of that coin is that because black people, and this is not to say that white people haven't experienced trauma, of course, everyone has experienced trauma, but generationally, like the trauma that we faced in slavery that has kind of gone down through the years, it has impacted us so much that we've kind of taken on this, and I talked about this in the first episode, this whole like strong black woman or strong black family, like, you know, persona where it's like, oh, you just have to get through it because you just have to survive because that's what our ancestors did. Like they were getting beaten in a cotton field. Like you can handle this homework assignment that you're stressed about. You know what I mean? Like, so that's like a gross oversimplification, but like it's true. It, it's, it's something that we don't, I think, don't realize a lot of times that trauma can be passed down, even though we haven't experienced it. And so we feel like, oh, we should just be able to get over this because it's fine. You just need to pray harder, you know, or you just need to like, what do you have to be anxious about? Right? Like it's, we just have to like continue to, to open up the, we just to continue to talk about it, have this conversation and like, make sure people realize that trauma is a very real thing that needs to be dealt with. And it takes more than just praying about it right like god made therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists for a reason he's smart he knows what he's doing yes mm -hmm. and i i i think again i just go back to in our very first season cindy dawson and i after george floyd died added on to her episode that we had previously recorded where we talked about the difference between a black person in the workplace and a white person in the, in the workplace or, or a woman in the workplace. A white man can freely express his anger without being given a label of any kind, mostly. 
Um, obviously, there are exceptions to that. But that's just not a privilege that women have, and that's not a privilege that my black friends have to freely express their anger. And I just wanted to point that out because, unfortunately, there's still a lot of people, especially in my community, that don't believe that white privilege is real and who don't believe that privilege is even real. Um, but they believe that we all are all equal uh, and receive equitable treatments because of that, when often, yes, we are equal, but we don't receive equitable treatment and don't have equitable access to, to various opportunities. And so when I'm thinking, when Dara, you were talking about like your family, because Dara and I grew up together, I grew up super poor and Dara did not grow up super poor, but we both had different privileges given to us in those areas and different traumas because of that. And so I'm just grateful that you brought that up. I'm learning how to comfortably talk about things like this in front of people, you know, who are not like me. We're all different. So, you know, I speak from my heart. I I speak with love. But there's a big elephant in every room that we walk in in this country. (laughs) There's a huge, pink, big elephant. (laughs) And it's just like, you know, it's like we're left to, to, um, I guess, analyze this from our own perspectives, like what's going on, um, what we see the fear that is really promoted, you know, and what's really real, what's real in this, this country, because I feel like everywhere in everybody, we all, we're all one in a way we're all connected. You know, we're all like, we have a way of communicating no matter, no matter how you speak, we have a way of understanding each other. And it's about being in tune with who you are, you know, just, um, your differences and learning how to walk in them and learning how to be yourself and understanding that we're all created different on purpose. Um, it's just so, it's just, we can go so many places with that, but it's just the bit addressing the pink elephant has made its way into our particular families, you know, um, white, black, no matter what color you are, you have those conversations in your families growing up of what's going on in this country, in this world. And it's just like, how do we process that within, within our own minds? And how, after processing that, it leads to your emotions and how you feel. And you're projecting that. You're, you know, you become what you think, literally. And it's just like, I feel like a lot of the things that we do in this world, in this country, um, it it wasn't, we weren't created to process it. You know, we're just trying to like, (laughs) what's really going on? (laughs) I think we were created to process it. And I think our culture trained it out of us. I think our ancestors trained creative expression out of us and trained um, us to not feel or have compassion. And I think that's what I keep coming back to as a believer is Jesus was like the most rad dude and he loved radically these amazing, beautiful people who his culture said, you might want to stay away from that person. They'll give you a bad rap. And I've been told that. I've been told that, especially about hanging out with my gay friends and hanging out with, I'm a a high school teacher, um, promoting uh, inclusion for black students and minorities and gay students. I um, get a bad rap for being disruptive. And I'm like, man, but that's what Jesus did. So I guess I'm going to keep doing it. And it's hard to show up like that because it's painful. It comes at a great cost. 
And that's where you talked about in your poem masks and that imagery of a, of a mask and and it and you putting that on to enter the battlefield like like that's what that's what a lot of our friends do that's what I do as a as a survivor of also childhood sexual assault I was molested too um, when I was around the same age and so when I enter these rooms where people are talking about sexual assault and the believability of victims. I'm, I'm bringing that into the room with me and I got to put on a mask because I'm entering a battlefield. I don't know if this is safe or not. I don't know if I'm going to have to advocate for someone or to listen. Like, I, I don't know. And so I, I protect myself up. But the beautiful part of that is as you heal and grow, what you think you have to wear is who you truly are. And and that's that's kind of what your poem's all about is existing in all of these spaces that feel like a battlefield as you truly are and with all those experiences so those people in the room if they don't like it you know that's on them that's their responsibility to deal with that if my integrity and living fully into who god created me to be makes you uncomfortable that is not my responsibility my responsibility is to live as god made me and the discomfort is on you and so I want to hear more, Rev, about some of your experiences as a kid because that's something I think, well, especially men, well, and women too, but really I think men don't really talk about. But, you know, I think back to when I was a kid and I was molested, I didn't know that I was molested until I was in my late 20s. Like, I didn't know that what happened to me was molestation. And, you know, I carried that with me into church whenever we we talked about purity and saving yourself and, like, all of this crazy things that I don't know how I honestly feel about them anymore. And I just am curious what that was like for you as a man. Like, what what was it like for you to walk into these churches and communities where they are very passionate about a lot of things related to sexuality without having lived any of it? And so what was that like for you? Um, man, that's a great question. Uh, and let me answer it in the best way possible. So as a child, um, being introduced to uh, sexual, the sexual mindset at such an early age. Like I said in my poem, I really started to look at women differently. I started to look at the little girls, you know, at school differently, just because I knew what it looks like without, you know, just having that real conversation. And, you know, also with men, you know, I started to, there, you're never going to find another man who will express himself the way that I do now. So I would just be real, you know, to be introduced to that so early, I started to look at myself and I started to be like, oh, you know, so that's how, but like you said, later on, I really didn't know what happened until I was aware of, wait, that, you know, two plus two is starting to equal four. Now I'm looking at my current life and I'm, I'm analyzing myself as an adult to see how it's affecting my relationships, my friendships, my family ships, <laughs> my job. It really projected into every part of my life because of survival. You know, it's just, I didn't feel safe. And as a kid, I just didn't, I thought that I was going to get in trouble because on top of the molestation situation, I had too much energy. You know, I was, I love my parents to life today. However, they didn't really know how to handle the fact, you know, they didn't really want to accept anything. So, um, you know, I was bouncing off the walls. I was hyper, you know, and I caught a lot of whippings, but it was like doing more harm because it was just silencing me. It was like just putting me in a cage. And by um, 
high school, I remember being a sophomore, uh, sophomore high school. I just didn't talk at all. I just didn't talk the whole day. Uh, sophomore, junior year, going into senior year, I became more expressive, but I didn't know how to talk, you know, because it was just like, I'm in a cage. So, um, but anyway, sorry. I don't mean to take you there. <laughs> I don't mean to take you there. Uh, Rev, I, I really appreciate you sharing those things because those are things that I haven't been brave enough to share yet, but that happened to me too, you know? So after I was molested, everything became sexual. And that's common. That's that whenever I kind of how this podcast started was I realized that what happened to me was assault. And then several years later, I learned that I could report it to the police after watching the Netflix series Unbelievable. And at the end, they just talk a lot about laws related to sexual assault. And at the end, also the final episode, the victims get to face their rapist and blame him for what is rightfully his to be blamed for, which is so many things. And as they were speaking, I mean, I just crumbled because it was so familiar. Um, being hypersexual at a young age and then being whooped for it instead of my parents having that awareness of this is evidence of sexual assault in a child. and. You know, then I had to deal with the bitterness of blaming my parents for not noticing those signs. And it's still hard for me, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with um, still existing in that tension. But I think people don't realize who weren't victims of assault or who haven't had those experiences where they're able to place blame rightly on where it belongs, where our sexuality and and kind of how we function sexually in the world we're not it's just really disorienting especially as children and then how our families handle that uh is equally disorienting and just awful and then now as adults like they all have opinions about a lot of things and it's still harmful so i'm just I'm just grateful for that. And I just want to remind listeners that if you've been a victim of sexual assault, me too. Um, and you're not alone. And I'm so sorry that that's happened to you. And uh, if you'd like help walking through your legal options, we are not lawyers, but we'd be happy to do a bunch of Googling and research for you. And I have lawyer friends that I'm happy to call on your behalf. But yeah, Rev, thank you. Thank you for that. <clears throat> Yes, yes, no problem. And you um you kind of said something that um if you don't mind me speaking on, and maybe everyone can kind of attest to this. You said just the things we don't speak on um when it comes from the world's perspective, not just our families. Um you know, this is a very touchy topic, you know what I mean? And um <laughs> I think that's just what's, what's so cool about me because along my journey I've learned that this is part of my this is a huge part of my purpose is just to help men, especially black men express themselves and say hey bro i i've gone to and performed this before and men have came to me crying and said bro i've gone through that too and you know and they're with their girlfriend their girlfriends like you know so it's just like i know that it's not just us coming together getting mushy but it's just about being real and 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 expressing you know like um and i feel like from the world's perspective you know we don't why don't we talk about that? You know, why don't we talk about, I mean, hey, in our families, it happens, you know, like in our families, you know, in my family, it's happened. I know. And I'm just like, 
first of all, why don't, why does not, and then it just causes division. You know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's so much because we just don't express and speak, you know, but, um, I feel like that's all a part of the journey collectively, just learning to look at ourselves, you know what I mean? And remembering putting those memories at the forefront of your mind when you do speak up, because you're only causing division among the people who are harming people. You're not caught because there's like this 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 Christian um, false belief that peacemaking is the absence of conflict, which is false. Peacemaking is moving through conflict toward resolution, especially on behalf of those whose voice has been robbed from them or taken from them. And so for myself as a teacher and for myself as a, as a female survivor of sexual assault, existing in a family of origin that still to this day does not believe what happened to me is true, they still call me a liar, I, in the forefront of my mind, it's all the women who've come to me with their stories. They listened to the podcast and came to me with a story of their own. And, you know, like, that's why we do it. That, that is God's work. We are doing God's work by sharing our stories and talking about these difficult concepts. They're not causing division. They're bringing people closer to their maker. And that's beautiful and good. So, Rev, you end your poem by saying, love is trust. Tell the truth. Your story. Forgive. This is something, forgiveness, that has, that's a tricky one for me too. Um, how have you experienced navigating relationships in your life with people who ha- weren't the perpetrators, who haven't physically harmed you, but were um, complicit in the harm that was done to you? Um, thank you for the question, Sarah. Um, I mean, just navigating, <clears throat> you know, once I became aware like truly aware of, you know, what really happened um, during my childhood, you know, that's, I feel like that's when the self-work kind of started. And I started to kind of just look at me before I looked at the next person. Um, So I know that the pain that I experienced from those situations, that was pain within those people, you know, Um, and yes, they projected that into me, but someone projected that into them. They experienced that some way, somehow. So, you know, that kind of taught me how to forgive that those situations um, and just do my best to learn from them. Um, I could walk you through the forgiveness. That part with my dad was actually the hardest part to let go because that's the family. That's like, you know, my teachers, okay, it was hard to like get over the school situation because I thought I was dumb. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, just according to America's standards that, they tell us to follow, you know, I was always behind, always playing catch up. And, you know, from an early, uh, so much, I'm there mentally right now. But um, yes, uh, the biggest part was just really seeing my father as I see myself, you know, and just really seeing um, his father, his father. You know, I've I've spent time with his father since I moved back um, home to Texas and uh, I'm around family now and, you know, I got to take care of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a really good point because you you have to think about those people who stand by the bystanders, the people who don't stick up for you, who don't believe you, don't take you seriously when you disclose something or if you're struggling with something. 
you have to take into consideration their trauma and and um, the way that they were socialized. And for them, you're right, it would mean confronting their own past and their own the way they were socialized and maybe their own right. traumas that they've enc- encountered in life right. to really face that issue with you. So that does help. You're that's yeah. absolutely and that really, that's a really good I mean, point. you kind of just nailed it on the head just now. Um, once you, like I said, once you become aware of you, you see people who are not yet aware of them in a way, you know, you just kind of see where they are. And I, mm-hmm. I see my parents without yeah. the title. Now I see my dad without the title dad. I see him as a person and a lot of his insecurities, a lot of his fears he projected into me, you know? So I had to break that, that like yeah. really get off the cycle of you know, the words of my father. You know, I was on a mental cycle of the words of my father. That is deep. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I need to put that in a point. Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. I have a question. How has, we, we haven't really talked about your experiences in church, Rev. How has your experience been with the church and how have they accepted or rejected your story or have you shared it with him? Kind of tell me a little bit about that. Um, So (laughs) the church, oh my gosh. Um, So I grew up in the church. Let me just give you a little background on that. Grew up in the church. I was born into a very, very religious family. I'm not going to name the denomination, but we were kind of high up in Louisiana. So people would stand up when I would walk in the church, me and my family, they would stand up for us. That's, we were like, you know, and it's not to be boastful. That's just what they did. They respect the, uh, it's called a bishop and the, you know, you're like the head pastor of all the pastors. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes, going and being born into that, it was such, um, an expectation. There were so many expectations, um, not only for me, but for all, um, children in, in that community, all children had, you know, an expectation of, um, either heaven or hell. And everything that you do, you know, you can only so many people making it into heaven. So I would have like bad dreams about hell. You know, I would, I would really be afraid of, yo, I can't do this. I can't say this. I can't listen to this because I'm going to go to hell. And it's amazing how the church teaches us more about hell than heaven, but more about hell than ourselves. It's just like, you know, that, I feel like that's what the church should be doing is like teaching us who we are. You know, and and focusing on the people because we have so many churches on every <laughs> every street corner. But I mean, marriage is a failing. Come on out. Relationship is just like, <laughs> where are we at? Where are we what are we doing for the people? So um growing up in church, I really wasn't able to express myself. And I honestly feel like the church's mentality has adopted, has also adopted the world's mentality, where they tell each other they could it's like a form of control. You know, it's like a form of, you don't talk about this. You don't talk about that. You come here, you know, so it's good to see that you guys are believers as well. Cause I am. I, I'm making an assumption here. So correct me or um, let me know if this is accurate, but I imagine with your father being who he is, that those ideas are reinforced in your church. That masculinity looks like this and yeah. femininity looks like this. Now here I am and I don't fit into that. So what does right. that make? Yeah. yeah. That I mean, um, you know, I feel like the concept that we have of, of men and women, boys and girls, st- start from our our parents first, you know, but um, just where did they get their mentality of this is what we're supposed to be doing? 
you know, this is how we're supposed to be carrying ourselves. And my father, he was, um, he was a, a preacher as well, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's amazing how, you know, Rev, you know, you now I got the tattoos and stuff. I'm like, I'm not your typical Reverend baby. Don't get it twisted. It's time for a revolution. Wait, can we, can we add in, uh, do you want a so, revolution? Uh, can we just like add that I'm in goofy, post? <laughs> Sorry, I'm muting my mic. I'm muting my mic. Sorry. You are, oh my god, yeah. Um, but no, I feel like as a as a whole, the family mentality, the church mentality, the world's mentality of just control and fear, and you can't say this. Uh, you know, you can't speak about this. But in church, I really wanted to stand up every Sunday and get people together. You know, because in the churches where you see the most sin, you see people sleeping with each other you know you you know you hear these things and it's just be like well what 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 are we really doing guys <laughs> you know and as a child just be having to you know how do you process that growing up and i feel like it just makes its way into your entire life as an adult so and i think our church should be the safest place for people and often it's not and my vision for God's kingdom is that churches would return to being the safe haven that we all long for and unmasked unbridled we can just be who we are and it doesn't matter if the church approves or not they're with you in that they're with you and I really do believe um a part of this podcast for me has been acknowledging the failure of the church and offering an alternate solution. And I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast are the in-betweeners. They're the ones who may have grown up in faith or grew up around faith, but the church failed them in significant ways and they haven't been able to find a place that is safe for them and so they assume that means they're atheists and because that makes the most sense in our in our culture and I just want to offer a seat at my table a seat at the table that the All at Once podcast is at and that's the table of God that has room for every single person and wherever they are in their journey and just because you're not sure or or you actually despise and are disgusted by the church of your youth as I sometimes am that doesn't mean that you're disgusted at God. And I just want to invite you back to some type of faith community that isn't hating on people. Man, that's that's so deep. Like just my own my own story I'm thinking about as we're talking with, you know, with the church. It's to Rev's point earlier. It's, it's all about absolutes. It's either you do this and you're going to heaven or if you mess up you're going to go to hell, right? And like because now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's the first time I realized that I had OCD, but I didn't know that. So I remember when I was, I must have been like, I was young, way too young to be watching the freaking Exorcist. I think I was like 11. So mom and dad fail on your part. I don't know why you let me watch that movie. But there was this particular part. I don't remember the dialogue, but basically the girl who was possessed was saying F you to God, you know, like F God, whatever. And so but because I was in this church where it was like, you, oh, that's your, that's an automatic one way ticket to hell. You can't curse God. Like if you do that one time, you're going to hell. And so because of my OCD, which I didn't obviously know at the time, I fixated on that 
that one part of the movie and it played over and over and over in my head for years. And so it was this constant battle of like hearing the bad thought and then trying to combat the bad thought with like, no, 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 that I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. It literally tormented me until I think I was like, like 26 maybe and realized one, I'm not going to hell for that. And two, like, this is your brain. Like this is, this is OCD and this is rooted in this unrealistic belief that if you do this one certain thing, you're not going to go to heaven. And so I have a lot of resentment for that. Like I, among other things, like I do have a lot of resentment towards traditional religion and towards the churches that I grew up in and, and not necessarily towards my parents, but I think, you know, they did the best that they could, but what, but towards what they taught me is where I feel that resentment. And so I just thank you, Kelly, for, for saying that about like, that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't mean that you're an atheist or that you were, you know, resenting God. It's just like, that's, that's a traumatic past. And so it's hard to feel like you fit into any kind of religious environment or to even find a church or even like have the desire to go find a church because you, it's like, it's so tainted, you know, like my memory of the church is so tainted from that. So, but th I just, thank you, Kelly, for, for sharing that it makes me, makes me feel a warm fuzzies. I miss you, Dara. <laughs> I just wanted to hug you while you were talking about that. Um, Dara and I have been best friends since we were in sixth grade. So, um, but now she lives in New Jersey and I live in Houston, but it's okay. She's going to come down in October. We're going to do a live recording. I think this might be a good time to announce this in the podcast. We're doing a live recording of the season finale on October 15th. Time to be determined. Probably by the time of the release of this episode, we will have a time and a place. We do not have that at the time of the recording of this episode in May. But everyone save the date for October 15th. Um, Sarah, Dara, and I will be there as well as the production team and our editor, Audra, all of us will be there. And we hope that all of our guests from past seasons will be there as a huge celebration of us all pressing into the hard things and believing the best in the world that we can have a good world again and a good community again. So with that, Rev, um, you are the first male survivor of sexual assault that we've had on the podcast. And I'm genuinely honored that you entrusted us with your story. What would you like to tell men who are also survivors of sexual assault, but haven't told a soul about it? First off, I think that I would tell them that it's okay. You know, like, it's okay, bro. <laughs> um, just being that bro to them, like, bro, it's all right, dog. Because, I mean, outside of sexual assault, we all have thoughts, all of us. It, it doesn't matter, male, female, but, you know, we all have thoughts and what we have to do, we have to do our best to do, is break free from words. You know, we, we emotionally attach to these words. We emotionally attach to a lot of things that, that cause us to feel like we can't express. But, you know, to anyone who's dealt with it, to anyone who hasn't dealt with it, you know, for the judgment that goes along with this, man, <laughs> we have to be free. We have to be free, man. We have to be free. Because until you do, until you look in the mirror and just really put in the self-work to learn how to be free, you know, you're going to project that into something, whether that's your relationships, friendships, job, it's going to be on your mind until you learn how to articulate and, and speak, you know, 
that's what's that's the real about it. However, until you get to that place in your journey, it's okay. I'm here. <laughs> Reach out to me, man. You know, <laughs> talk to your lady. Talk to your talk to somebody. <laughs> talk to somebody, man. I love it. So going along with that, um, where should people go if they'd like to engage with you more, Rev? OMG, thank you. Um, so I actually started at, um I'm kind of, you know, creating. I'm also along the healing journey. You find yourself and you start creating. So I think it's beautiful. Like, you know, so that's why I believe there's a creator because for me to get to this level of understanding, it ain't nobody, but, you know, it ain't me. So, but listen, back to it. Healing Legacies, I started an LLC because I really want people to um, learn how to be free. So you can follow me at Healing Legacies. I have a YouTube channel, Instagram, TikTok. I'm working on Facebook, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, that creates the spiritual being that we are, you know, and um, I really want people to understand, you know, purpose. There's purpose in our lives. There's purpose in everything. There's purpose in the trauma. There's purpose in your mother, your father. There's purpose in, there's, there's purpose everywhere. So I feel like that's what God is, you know, it, it's purpose. It's like, just makes purpose out of every single moment. And that's why I'm thankful. Mike Gratitude. I'm going to, I'm going to mute my mic. I'm going to mute my mic. <laughs> Healing legacies. Follow me. <laughs> <laughs> Rev, thank you so much for joining us and for trusting us with your story. Yes. Thank you so much for having me guys. It was a pleasure. I had fun, laughed, giggled, almost cried. So um, I love it. I, and I fully support what you guys got going. This is a beautiful setup. I was kind of like cautious, like, you know, just like a little hesitant. I was like, guys, I've never done anything like this. Like, so, um, but it worked out and thank you so much for having me. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rev. And thank you also to Texan Bank and Larry's Designs in Friendswood for sponsoring our show and making this work possible. Thank you also to all the behind the scenes women who make this possible. Producer Janice Street, marketing director Robin Boren, social media manager Molly Bays, editor Audra Bridges, and graphic designer Leah Givens. Thank you for listening.